Hello, everybody. It's your host, Jack Healy. And today on the Gotham Sports Machine, we're talking New York basketball with my co-host, Mark Healy, and our guest, Brian Mahoney, who is the national NBA columnist for the Associated Press. He covers the Knicks, the Nets, and the rest of the league for AP, and is actually in Milwaukee covering the finals right now. How is, the, how is the atmosphere? I'm going to ask you right now, Brian. After that big win last night, I'm sure fans are really excited in Milwaukee. They really are. And, you know, you can see on TV how excited they are. It was my first time actually here, uh, you know, seeing it. And it, it's a lot of fun. Um, there are certain cities who've had the NBA Finals for quite a few times. And, you know, it's always fun, but it's not quite the same. There's a been there, done that feeling. Uh, Milwaukee obviously hasn't had the NBA finals here since uh, 1974. And you can really see how much it meant to the people, uh, you know, lining up early, all decked out in their green Bucks gear. And uh, and the Bucks gave a good show last night. So uh, it was it was a fun scene to be a part of, for sure. When you think about, you know, the history of the Bucks franchise obviously, you know, it's completely different. You know, this, this group is completely different from the Oscar Robertson, uh, you know, Kareem crew uh, that won it all back in the seventies. You know, you said that there's excitement, you know, it's always green Bay, uh, you know, uh, green Bay country in Wisconsin, you know, it doesn't, the, the bucks don't often get to shine in the spotlight. So would you say that, you know, being in Milwaukee, that at least the Bucks are getting a share of the back pages, or is it all, uh, you know, where's Aaron Rodgers going to be, uh, you know, <laughs> this offseason? I, I have seen a bunch of Aaron Rodgers headlines, so I guess that's not going to go away. But, uh, but the uh, they're certainly they certainly are into these Bucks here, and you know, you you mentioned of course those those old teams, and you, you know, you realize sort of how. Uh, fragile it is how quick everything changes you know when they had Kareem and Oscar Robertson you know two certainly top 10 players if not higher in NBA history uh, and you know all of a sudden you, you win a title in, in 71 you go back in 74 and you probably think okay this is just going to keep on happening and uh, you know haven't been back since so uh, they better enjoy it now for sure because who knows you know no matter how good your team is how soon you're going to see it again yep and with this core, it seems like it's they've always been close, but not quite. And they finally got there this year. And on the road, the first few games, it was like Giannis, you could see he belonged there. He willed his team there. But it was like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday were playing shaky. And they you didn't know if they really had it to for the finals. And they, they didn't, you know, didn't know if they could bring it. And they finally showed last night that they're here to play. And they needed to just come home, get comfortable, need that crowd. And for the next game, it's really going to come down to who steps up more. DeAndre Ayton and Booker or Middleton and Holiday? Because Paul and Middleton, Paul and uh, Giannis have shown they're going to come to play every single game. Yeah, what we've seen, uh, certainly, Jack, is that, you know, some of these, these guards who you expect sort of more consistent play from, uh, haven't necessarily brought it in the road games. Uh, you know, Drew Holiday really struggled in both games in Milwaukee. Uh, Middleton struggled in, in game two. And then uh, Devin Booker, you know, was, was very off last night with just the 10 points. So, uh, you know, at some point, one of those guys, if not multiple of those guys, are going to play well in a road game. And that team is going to find a way to win and sort of change things around in the series. But 
so far it has not happened. And as you've said, really Giannis has been the only guy who has been consistent for, you know, multiple games in a row. You know, it's funny. Uh, the Milwaukee coach has been called out by lots of folks in the media. Uh, certainly uh, some questionable coaching decisions along the way, but, you know, I always say, you know, when you make it to the finals, you know, you, you can't, you can't question a, a coach's, a coach's decision-making that much. You know, we saw a lot of different things happening during the course of this playoffs, uh, whether it was, you know, shot selection, whether it was defensive, you know, uh, game planning, but certainly Milwaukee with winning the game last night certainly makes a case for, you know, not, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I, you know, Jack and I have talked, Jack himself has talked about Phoenix all year. This is not something new uh, for him. You know, he's always been on them as, as far as being a really good team, but Milwaukee, they're so hard to figure out because they do have the dominant player. Uh, do you think coaching is going to play a role? I mean, Monty Williams was certainly a finalist for coach of the year. Uh, you and I both remember him as a Knicks rookie uh, coming out of the university of Notre Dame. So I got a little soft spot for Monty, of course. Uh, but, but, you know, do you think coaching is going to play a role in, in the rest of this finals and how it lays out? I mean, the, the coaching has, you know, a massive impact anytime as far as having the right strategy, uh, the right rotations. There, there's, you know, there's so much that goes into it, keeping your guys on a, uh, even keel in, a, in a, a situation like this on the big stage. But ultimately, you know, as cliche as it is, it comes down to the guys making shots. And, you know, what, whether Mike Budenholzer always makes the right calls or not, the bottom line is, you know, if Drew Holiday is going to shoot Zen for 21, they're probably not going to win that game. Uh, if you're going to make five three-pointers like last night, you probably are. So uh, certainly the coaches can make a difference, but they can only do so much. The players have to go out there and execute it. And, uh, you know, hopefully for both coaches, their guys will, and then uh, we'll see some, some good action. If anything has been proven to me this finals, it has to be – how much of a warrior Giannis is because we've just been talking about how good he's played and we're taking for granted the fact that he shouldn't have even been playing in these finals. Everyone's saying four to six weeks for an injury like that hyperextended knee. When I was watching that game, I had to turn the game off. It was so nasty watching his knee bend all the way back. And this guy's coming back and dropping 40 a night. Like, if he isn't one of the best players in the NBA and you don't, you're not confident in saying that, I don't know what you're watching because this is something else to watch. And he's, if anyone's making a case for finals MVP, it's this guy. Yeah. And it is, it is amazing. And, you know, people probably, some are not going to give him as much credit as he probably deserves. But you're right. When you look at that injury, uh, you know, when he came back in game one and he had 20 and 17, uh, which is a massive night for almost anyone, you know, I almost felt bad saying it, but I said that that's not going to be good enough. Uh, he needs to do something better. Uh, he can get numbers just because of his size and athleticism, not necessarily even having a great game, just because, you know, he can reach the rim and he can get end to end, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, you almost felt bad saying, listen, he's going to need to do more, but that's exactly what he's done. He has done more. And, you know, this is only two weeks ago. You thought he might not play again until next year. And here he is putting up a couple 40 point nights uh, in a row. So, 
just really, really incredible. I mean, it's hard to say anything uh, enough about what he's done in his last couple of games. You know, when you think about winning championships, you know, when teams are led by superstars, often, you know, and I, I think we're all guilty of this, Coach. Um, I think we're all guilty of guys getting forgotten, uh, you know, guys who play such key roles. And you and, you and Jack have mentioned you know, pro, you know, all the guys that are really playing a big role right now for both of these teams. But if you had to pick a unsung hero on either team, uh, you know, who would you look at to who, who would you look to on either team, either the Suns or the Bucks, as unsung guys that will probably play a role in who wins this series? Well, to, to make you happy, I'll pick the Notre Dame guy, uh, Pat Connaughton. Uh, that's what I was hoping for coach. That's <laughs> what I was hoping for. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, you know, the, what answer you want him to give, but no, uh, he had a couple of big threes in that third quarter last night. I thought he's played really well. I thought he hit some big shots in the net series as well. Uh, and you know, look, they lost Dante DiVincenzo uh, to an injury. So they, they have needed someone else to come in, in that, in that sort of guard spot. I think he's played really well. And, uh, you know, you can tell Giannis has confidence in him, which is really important. And, you know, for the Suns, uh, you know, obviously Bridges had a huge game the other night. Uh, he, you know, he's a starter, so maybe he's not quite as unsung as, as a guy like Connaughton. But, uh, you know, 27 points in that game, too. He was terrific. And then, you know, last night really didn't do very much at all. And that made a difference. So, uh, you know, he's got to be that you know, more than just a nice defensive, good athlete. He's got to be a scorer too. And I think the Suns uh, think he can be and should be. For me, it's a, it's the three-point shooting is so huge in this series. And you saw how big it was for Phoenix when they were at home, how big the difference was in the threes shot and hit. And when I think of unsung heroes and or guys that are just making to make a huge impact in the series, I'm definitely thinking Brooke Lopez and Jay Crowder because these guys can stretch the floor and they can hit the big time clutch threes, and they've shown to do it here and here out all the awful playoffs. So those are my guys to watch out for. If Brooke Lopez is hitting five or six threes in a game, you are not going to be happy if you're the Suns because you're going to have to worry about him on the three point line. Giannis in the paint, and then Middleton, wherever else he is. So that's just going to cause even more problems for you. And Jay Crowder has just shown throughout the playoffs that he's going to hit the big-time corner threes spot up from anywhere. And, and they were really missing that when he was, in the beginning of the series when he wasn't hitting his shots. Yeah, Crowder was one of their best players last night. And, you know, certainly the only guy in the series who has any NBA Finals experience. So, you know, he may not necessarily play well, but he's not going to be afraid of this moment. And, uh, you know, they he kept him kind of hanging around in that third quarter a little bit last night. And, you know, Lopez, yeah, they 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 count on him. You know, with the game Giannis went down the next game, he was terrific. Uh, so they know what he can do and, and uh, he can defend as well, which is really important because, you know, look, the Suns are going to be throwing it inside to Aiton, and uh, Lopez has to kind of help control that somehow. Mm -hmm. And he's been a huge improvement on that end. He was heavily criticized the past few years for not being an interior guy on defensive end, and he's shown throughout this playoffs he can hang with some of these guys down low. For sure, for sure. They have a nice scheme, and, and they believe in what he can do in there. And, and you know, having to look. 
the harder part too is, uh, you know, even the, some a lot of the big guys nowadays play outside and you got to play him out there uh, defensively. And he's, he's comfortable going out there and doing that, which is, you know, certainly not easy to do for a guy his size. Two things for me, coach, um, according to hoopshype.com, uh, viewership for the NBA finals is up 41% from last year, which is awesome when you consider that a lot of people were kind of bemoaning the fact that it was Phoenix, Milwaukee in the finals and not Brooklyn, LA. So up 41%. And that was with the Lakers in the finals last year during a pandemic. You know, I mean, I think that's a pretty impressive number. Uh, also, uh, you know, usually the finals draw their share of, you know, uh, stars and, and executives from other teams. Have you run into anyone from Brooklyn or the Knicks uh, at the finals this year? Uh, do you get the sense that uh, they're already focused on what they're going to do this offseason, don't really care about the finals? Have you run into anyone from the local teams uh, in uh, Milwaukee or Phoenix? I, I haven't seen anyone, but that doesn't mean they aren't here. Uh, it's hard to get a, you know, close to anybody this year because of the, the protocol still in place. Uh, you know, we're not allowed to go down to the floor like we normally are. Uh, they have us very much restricted to, to certain areas. So um, if guys are here uh, and they're essentially not media, we're not seeing them. That's kind of, kind of we're left in that normal place. And um, you know, as far as the ratings, you know, it's it's a sort of a good and bad case for the league. They're obviously up from last year, uh, but they're down from where they normally would be because, you know, July still isn't a good time. Uh, they, they have had uh, – there's been discussions for years about, you know, what about starting the year at Christmas time and playing into July? Uh, people think, you know, get away from the NFL season a little bit more, get away from the college season, and, and instead of starting October, start Christmas – but the league has always said, you know, July is not a good TV time. And what they're seeing here is, yeah, they're doing better than they did last year when the finals were in October, but they're not doing as well as they do traditionally uh, in their June calendars time. So that, that kind of motivates them more to want to get back to the, the normal schedule that they've had for years. I would think that it's, it is a good thing that the numbers are up from last year because you would think – a lot less people would watch because, yeah, it's not the big the big name teams. But also, I think there's a lot more fans that are excited that there's new teams in the league and new teams being in the finals and new good teams. Like, you want to see the league be more spread out when you're not seeing the two – like, you're two of the same teams and all the same guys in the finals every year. Like, I think it's going to bring a new generation of fans in because all you need is to see your team make a run to become a really big fan. So the more teams that haven't made these playoff runs in so long that get to the finals and get to the conference finals, it's just going to bring in more fans and then make the NBA more popular. So they should, they should definitely be happy that they have the newer teams. Wow. In the teams. It, it's always, you know, from, from the aspect of like us, it, you know, it's great to have some new teams once in a while and tell their stories, uh, you know, these teams like the Bucks who haven't been here in, you know, 47 years and the Suns who have never won a title. It's it's neat to to discuss that kind of stuff. Um, 
but from the league standpoint, it's all about the market size and uh, and who draws the fans. And you know, uh, if Michael Jordan played right now, they would take that in a heartbeat because that's a you know an audience they already know exists and, and you know tried and true formula. They don't know what they're going to get from Milwaukee and Phoenix. Uh, so you know, they they certainly would you know the numbers would be better for them if it was the Lakers. But uh, we've already seen the Lakers and LeBron plenty of times. It's kind of fun to see someone else. So uh, from the business aspect, it's it's not the greatest to kind of bring in new teams, but uh, from getting to tell some good stories, I, I you know I like the fact we're getting to do it. All right. So turning over to the New York teams. I think if the finals have done anything, it's given us more of like a roadmap of what you sh- how you should build your team. You should, you should start drafting, start with the draft, and then eventually add to your young core by adding veterans through free agency or trade, whatever. Because th- a lot of these Suns players were drafted by the team, and it's a lot of the same guys from these teams that never touched the playoffs. And – you could see how much more competitive they were last year in the bubble, and you could see that they were hungry to win. So when you add a guy like Chris Paul, a guy who's just going to set the culture and set a winning culture, it just flipped the switch. And you know, a lot of people didn't expect it to happen immediately, but already you got a contender. So who do you think the Knicks should go after and find and to find that guy to set the culture for them? Well, the, the Knicks still need, I think, the, the piece that gets you to Chris, the Chris Paul kind of guy. You know, what the Suns had, to your point, is, you know, you get a couple of young guys like Booker and Aiton, and particularly Devin Booker, who already showed himself to be a star player. And all of a sudden, a guy like Chris Paul says, OK, I can see myself going and, and winning games there. Um, not every team has that. And, uh, you know, you, what we've seen for years and years is, uh, you know, guys want to go someplace where they're going to win. They don't want to necessarily have to be the guy who's going to make it a winning team. So, uh, you know, the Knicks have a nice start now. They have a coach people like, uh, you know, Randall had an all-star season. Uh, Maybe RJ Barrett is that kind of guy who's going to be there eventually. So, uh, you know, they're on the right path, but it takes a few years. Took the Suns a long time to kind of start building this to make it attractive to a Chris Paul kind of guy. And, and let's see how long it takes the Knicks to take. You know, obviously, uh, Brooklyn, you know, they, they, you know, injuries really stopped them from marching towards uh, the playoffs. You know, had they had Kyrie Irving, had Harden been 100%, it's hard to imagine that they would have lost to the Bucks. That said, uh, going into this offseason, you know, obviously, I think that, you know, I think they're going to be uh, uh, really hard to handle for the rest of the NBA in the 2022 season coach. What do you think about um, the fine line between load management for those three stars and what, you know, what pieces that they're going to need to put around those three? Cause I definitely think they're going to be changes. I, I don't think there's any question that uh, the nets are going to look to make a lot of moves, specifically Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, is he a guy that you see sticking around and being part of the team next year? Or do you see Dinwiddie being part of a sign and trade? If I had to guess, I would say sign and trade. Uh, you know, it's, I think he would want a little bit bigger role than he's going to have here. I think uh, he's worth more money than they probably want to spend him. And I think, you know, uh, Sean Marks already kind of hinted at the idea of a sign and trade. So, 
I, I, you know, I, I think they'd love to have him back at the right number. I just think the right number is not going to be the right number for him. So, uh, but, but they're going to be able to build that. They, they have the three guys in place. Uh, you know, it's a market people want to come to. It's the kind of guys people want to play with. So they'll be able to fill in around that roster. And then it's just a matter of, you got him on the floor. I think we all thought this team would be playing right now and they probably would be if they were healthy, but uh, you know, they didn't stay healthy this year and they have to hope next year that that, that happens more, you know, that they need James Harden to, you know, to be in shape to, you know, for Kyrie Irving to, to, to be around the team more. So Harden can take some more nights off when need be. He had to play too often this year. So uh, a lot of things have to go right that didn't for them, but they certainly uh, will be able to put the team out there that is going to be, you know, have a shot to be there in the end for sure. Well, he said, already said he wants five years, $125 million to stay in Brooklyn, which is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hefty price, $25 million a year. It's probably what he's going to get, though, in this offseason. It's what they can give him. And I don't know if I would give it to him at this point because, yeah, he's, he's shown he's a valuable guard and he would be probably a starter on any other team. But they they don't need they as much as a guy like that would help, that money could be better well spent, in my opinion, with getting other depth, getting a a, a, a way more solid backup big man. So you don't have these guys just bullying you in the paint every other game. And I think they need to get more solid defensively. And it's just it's too hefty of a price for me. Five years, 125. And that ultimately what it, what it may come down to when you have so much money tied up in three guys, uh, you have to build around the, the lineup more than more than you need a fourth guy. You need, you know, eight, nine and ten in some ways. So uh, that's what decision is going to come down to. And, you know, who knows? Didn't when he really, really wanted to stay, he could, you know, throw a number out there that would be attractive to the Nets. But, you know, for a lot of guys like that, you only get one shot when it's your big payday. And that's his shot this year. And, uh, you know, no matter how good your team is or how loyal your team is, uh, you necessarily don't take your – you don't give a discount there when it's your one shot. If you're going to get three contracts, maybe you can do it at that point in time. But when it's your one big one, like it is probably for him right now, you got to cash in. It's also going to be money out of the owner's pocket. So I really just don't see – the Nets giving like it would be money out of the it would be sixty million out of the owner's pocket if it's over eighty million dollar contract. He wants most likely over a hundred million dollars. Like that's just adding more and more money out of the out of pocket. So I just for for a guy who yeah he's really good, but he's not great. He's not going to be that fourth guy. I see Blake Griffin being more of a fourth guy than he is. So. I just I think the best case scenario sign and trade and you get something out of it. Uh, right, I, you know, like I say, I if I had to totally guess, that would be my guess. Uh, I just think that probably ends up making the most sense for you know for both of them overall. What what what's the word on on Steve Nash? You know, uh, he's a guy. Obviously, it was his first season ever coaching uh, Brooklyn. Uh, you heard a lot of mixed reviews during the course of the season. Uh, anytime that the Nets, you know, faltered, people would point to the coach. Well, you know, it's Steve Nash. He can't handle these guys. Um, you know, they're, they're, 
there have been some that have been on this show that have been on this podcast that have talked about, you know, look at Steve Nash. He's done such a great job handling everyone. Uh, what's the consensus, do you think? All the different executives that you talk to, all the different players that you talk to and, and the other riders around the country. Uh, what's what's the, you know, it, it, you know, what's the feeling on Steve Nash after his first season uh, with the Brooklyn Nets? I think it was mostly positive. Uh, you know, this was a tough year to, for any coach, whether you had experience or not. Uh, certainly for a rookie coach, really hard, you know, with all the protocols and, uh, you know, never having a full team out there. That was just a lot to adjust to. I do think he got better as the year went on. Uh, I think he learned a lot of things. And, you know, I think he'd be better next year, uh, you know, in a, in a more normal circumstance. Uh, so, I don't think, I don't think they can uh, be unhappy with the job he did. I think they certainly expected there would be a learning curve when you, when you make that kind of iron. Uh, but I think overall he handled a, a really tough situation pretty well. Yeah, it was, de it's definitely a tough situation whenever you're coaching in New York. And then when you have all those stars to deal with too, it's just adding on top of it. So I think, I think, yeah, learning curve, we'll see how he deals with it next year. And getting more of a now he has more of an idea of the team. And I think he should definitely start to find more of an identity more than just, oh, we have all these stars. Like they I think that he needs to find what that team is gonna be. Are they gonna be a team that's a really good shooting team? Like are they gonna be the next Warriors? Or are they gonna be a team that's spreading the rock around and running that like are they gonna be an ISO ball team? I just I think they need to figure out what they're doing in the, this offseason. And I think that'll you know help by just some of the normal circumstances coming back next year. I mean, he basically said, you know, time and time again this year that they just weren't practicing, uh, you know, because uh, you needed the time off. The schedule was so condensed and you had all the other situations like having to come in early for testing and things like that, uh, that basically they just didn't practice a ton. And so it's hard to really you know, figure out some of that kind of stuff when you're just playing games. So I do think next year uh, we'll see more of that as they're allowed to do more normal things. You know, just to switch back to the Knicks uh, before we go, uh, Coach, I, I do have a question. You know, there are a lot of rumors about uh, Lillard, about uh, the Blazers, Blazers might be looking to deal him. He might not be happy with where he is in Portland. He might be looking for a new challenge, a new team. Do you think there's any shot for the Knicks to get involved in that kind of conversation? And would they have to include RJ Barrett in the deal? It's, it's possible. I've seen teams make trades with, with, you know, less than what you thought you'd have to give up. It depends how much the player wants out, uh, you know, and, and uh, we don't really know where Lillard is at in that situation. You know, if it, you know, if he desperately, desperately wanted to go and they thought he was going to cause problems there and, and they or they just want to be really loyal to him because he's been such a great player for them for years. Yeah, sure. Maybe they don't accept the best possible deal. But if it's not at that kind of situation, then I think the Knicks would have to give up a ton. And, you know, maybe they would. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, you've got to have the superstar player. That's not even up, you know, up for debate. And. Uh, if one's on the market, they have to make a run for it. And this is their time to do it. Uh, they haven't had the kind of assets uh, they have uh, right now in a long time with the, you know, the, the extra draft picks and all the cash they have and some decent young players. So uh, this is their time to get into the game. And 
you know, doing so in a trade is one possible way to do it. And, you know, again, it just depends on, is it going to get to the point where he really is going to force Portland to make a deal? And I'm not sure it's there yet. We've kind of touched on it before. And you said you didn't think that Julius Randle is that guy to attract another star player. So how do you think the Knicks should attack this offseason? Do you think they just build through the draft, try to find their next guy, try to sign, try to make value signings like they have the past few years, signing veterans that are going to fit the system? Or do you think they should go out and make a kind of deal with all these assets they have, like a Damian Lillard deal, or just go out and try to chase one of these stars to bring to New York. Yeah, I think they, I think they do believe in Randall and uh, you know, I think guys, you know, like the way he plays and would want to come play with him. Uh, You know, as far as the, the, the situation that they have is I think a lot of guys who they kind of expect just to kind of fill in the pieces this year, played very well guys like, you know, Reggie Bullock and uh, you know, maybe a Tash Gibson type. And so do you, you know, do you want to kind of hold on to them or do you feel like, you know, you want to go star hunting a little bit more. So uh, that's the, that's the situation that they're kind of in. I I do think, you know, again, there's avenues for them here. Uh, You know, the free ancient market is going to, you know, they have a ton of money to spend. They can get two top level guys and there's going to be guys out there uh, you know, and, and this year's a year, maybe when they've done well enough that you can, you know, entice those guys, they couldn't even get meetings with some of those kind of players last few years. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think when they come back in September, we're going to see, you know, some level of, you know, top level player in the garden. I'm just not sure how they're going to get them yet, but I would think they're going to do it somehow. That's, that's definitely optimistic. Sounds good to me. <laughs> that sounds good to Knicks fans, I'm sure. So uh, I think we should wrap it up with the draft. Do you see the Knicks making a move to trade up in the draft? Or do you think they'll use those picks to trade for a player? Because they've said they've pretty much hinted at they're making a move with all the picks they have, whether it's up, down, or for a player. Where do you think they go with that? Uh, I'm not sure which way, but I would imagine it's, it is, you know, one of those things is going to happen. I don't, I don't expect them to use all those kind of picks and and bring in more, more and more young guys. I think it's either you try and get higher in the draft or you try and use them in in a deal. And, you know, again, it takes a long time to get in the situation where you can do that. And for the long time, the Knicks had no ability to make that kind of move. Uh, You know, this year they do. So uh, just having options is the start. And from there, it's, whether you, you know, make the right move with the options you have, but at least they have the opportunity to do that now. Yep. Well, that's been another great episode on the Gotham Sports Machine. Thanks for coming on, Brian. It's been a great time talking to you. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Have fun at the finals, coach. All right, Hills. I'll talk to you soon.